Good morning. Is there a pulpit for me? Can't preach without a pulpit, can I? Please? Oh. <laughs> well, I want to... Had to find me water. Oh, man. Thank you, Rod. What a, what a good guy. Well, I want to welcome you here. My name is Lyndon. I'm one of the pastoral staff here. And those of you who are watching online, welcome here too. We consider you a part of what God is doing here. We're in a series in the book of 1 John. And um, I want to continue on in that series. And I want to start by reading the passage that Pastor David gave to me to look at. It starts at chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 11. It says this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Have we heard that enough in this passage yet? The series seems to say that a lot. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, I get it already, John. I get it. So, I want to start by asking you a question. And then I'm going to give you 15 seconds to nudge your neighbor if there's someone close to you and answer it. What did you get for Christmas? Go. And if you're sitting beside the person who gave it to you, tell them what you liked about it. And thank you. Stop. So we as a family decided that we were going to do Christmas on the 27th because we have all the in-laws and outlaws that come with four marrieds and three grandkids and all that. And we just decided that Wednesday the 27th would be the best day for us to do our Christmas celebration. We just live over here in the missionary house right across the parking lot. It's a little smaller than what we're used to. But we, honestly, we had a blast. Literally. Because when everybody got up and left, it looked like a bomb went off. I got this really nice shirt. And a pair of waterproof boots so I can continue to practice my disc golf addiction in the rain, but truth be told, this year was the year that my wife and I didn't buy each other other really any gifts other than we bought ourselves a replacement for our other car. So we got a new, to us, CRV Honda. It's in the parking lot somewhere. 
we decided that instead of blessing our mechanic at Christmas, we would bless our salesman at Christmas. And he was so nice, he, even when we bought the car and we came out to get the car, he put this nice great big bow on top. I have a picture of Doretha beside it. Giving, it's a time, it's something we do at Christmas time. And maybe even more so, it's a time when we find ourselves asking this question, especially in mid-January when the visa bill comes. Why do we do this? Why do we give and spend so much money and all that stuff? I had a conversation with a young adult, young mom, who said the other day that they don't, haven't given gifts for five years and they love it. Maybe they got onto something, I don't know. But why do we do this? Why do we give gifts? Well, some for, us, for some of us it's tradition. For some of us, it's an expectation. For some, maybe it's the hope that if I give something to someone, maybe I'll get something back in return. Or maybe it's to demonstrate love and appreciation. I suppose in its purest form, we give at Christmas to follow the example of Jesus. So chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So I suppose loving one another includes expressing that love by giving. That's kind of where I think this all got started. And then Hallmark took over, and Walmart took over, and all that. But anyways, and Amazon, I guess. It's almost like in some ways the living proof of our love for someone can be shown in giving. And so as I've been wrestling with what to share from this passage, I want you to understand that I realize there are like 11 or 12 verses in this passage, and I don't know that it's possible for me to even cover intelligently half of that. So Dave, sorry, but we're going to have to just do a little bit, Pastor David, when he comes back. But the reality is there's one verse that I want us to focus on today that keeps jumping off the page for me where I'm at. It's verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. You see, when my belief wavers, can you relate? Or when my loving one another quotient seems like I'm not quite measuring up, what is the living proof that I live in God and that he lives in me? Well, according to John, the proof is in the gift that has been given to us by Jesus, by God the Father. We all know John 3.16, or many of us would anyway, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. We've seen that, we've sung that this morning. But there is another gift, verse 13, God has given us of his Holy Spirit. Okay, hmm. I don't know about you, but when it comes to trying to understand God, there's a certain level of mystery. There's this doctrine that we talk about. It's called the Trinity. We just sung about it. If you go to our Central Heights webpage under beliefs, you will read the following as our best attempt to try and explain God. 
We believe in the one true God, the source of all life, who reigns over all things as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lovingly cares for all creation. God the Father planned the redemption of humanity and sent Jesus Christ the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, bringing good news to the poor and triumphing over sin through his obedient life, death, and resurrection. And God the Holy Spirit empowers believers with new life, indwells them, and unites them in one body. But here, after reading that, do you feel like, yeah, I fully understand God now? I got some pieces. I got some questions. I don't know how it all works. But here's my challenge. I can relate pretty easily to God the Father. I had a good relationship with my father, a good relationship with my adoptive father, and as a father, I can begin to understand deeper what it's like to love my children so I can see how God loves me a little more as I enter into being a father. And then I don't have that much problems with Jesus either. I can relate to him. I'm comfortable with his claim to being fully God and fully man. I'm comfortable placing my faith in what he did through his life, death, and resurrection. I'm comfortable with the virgin birth. And I'm comfortable with the simple fact that he is a reliable, historical figure. I've been to Israel, and I've seen the physical spaces that the stories actually took place in. I've seen the place they think this happened and that happened and so on. So I'm okay with that because, you know, Jesus is kind of a person. But the Holy Spirit's a bit nebulous to me. Can any of you relate to that? Maybe it's because I can't put the Holy Spirit into a test tube and science myself to an understanding of him. Even though the Bible always refers to the Holy Spirit as a person, he's not an impersonal force. I just wish I could touch him with my hands or relate to him in some more tangible, concrete ways. When I was a youth pastor, we used to talk about, it's like trying to nail jello to a wall. Doesn't work very well. But you know, I also struggle with the Holy Spirit and trying to understand him for this reason. There's a lot of really weird stuff that happens out there that gets attributed to the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to be fooled And it's hard to know what's real and what is man-made hype. So my natural tendency is to go, that's not safe. I'm not going anywhere near the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to go to what I can touch and feel and, I'll use the phrase, control. I naturally go, Father, I'm okay to receive your love. Jesus, I definitely will take your gift of eternal life. But Holy Spirit, I think I'll take it from here. Full confession. But in John, 1 John 4, 13, it's one of the ways that we know we live in him and he in us, it says, is that he has given us his spirit. It's a simple stated fact that John is making. If you were a follower of Jesus and one of his apprentices for life, then God has given you his spirit. Let that sink in. If you are a follower of Jesus, one of his apprentices for life, then God has given you his spirit. So as I'm prone to do, the next question out of my mouth at this point is usually, so what? Right? Okay, Lyndon, you're convinced me. 
If God has given us the spirit, why is this significance? How does that affect my everyday life? Well, I think John can help us with that. That's why I think we should look at this piece of the passage. Why? Because I think John was there when the spirit was given. 1 John 4, 14, right after the verse I've been looking at, it says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Or if you go right back to the beginning of 1 John, verse 1, chapter 1, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. I was there, people. So let's go to the Gospel of John the record of what John experienced, to see if we can glean anything about the Holy Spirit and John's experience with him, the Holy Spirit. Starting in John 13, verse one, it says this, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John was there for that. Okay? He washed their feet a deep demonstration of love and an example for them to follow. Jesus washed John's feet. He was there. Then he predicts that someone will betray him. John probably responded like, what? He was there. And then Jesus makes this tidy little statement from John 13, verses 33 to 35. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. I wonder how John responded to that. And then Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you so much, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, you know John was there for that because it's all over 1 John. So if he missed it all, he got that one thing. There is obviously this moment of shock for the disciples. And Peter, one of the disciples, stands up and says, oh, wait, Jesus, hang on. Uh, 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 hold it right there. Can't I come where you're going? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to die for you. Jesus' response, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. I don't know if John heard that conversation, but he was around. What a confusing time. Tender, intimate moments with his closest friends. And finally, I can just think the disciples, including John, would have been going like, okay, finally the kingdom of God is going to come and we're going to see it. Wait, what? Jesus, you're leaving? No. That's funny, Jesus, come on. I can picture John maybe reflecting back on that moment in the upper room and on what Jesus said next when he's writing that he has given us of his spirit. John 14, 16 says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. See, the word here is advocate is, is paraclete. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys like kind of word studies or whatever. I'm not a huge smart guy that way, but I did some reading. What is Jesus promising to give them? A paraclete is someone who is like a helper, an aider, an assistant. A couple sermons ago that I did, 1 John 2, it talks about Jesus as our advocate who stands before the Father in our defense and when we sin. But Jesus is saying this is another advocate. 
So one of the articles I read fleshed it out in this way, and I want to share this with you. It says, in the culture and thought world of the New Testament, the term paraclete seemed to have a wide range of meanings. And John's readers would have known them all. For example, if you had a bit too much wine and started racing your chariot around Ephesus and you got arrested for it, you would need an advocate. A defender who could represent you in court and be called as a character witness to tell the judge that this irrational behavior that you just did was really just a fluke and you really are quite a good person being mo most of the time. Such a person would be called a paraclete. Someone who sticks up for you, who knows what you are truly like, yet will always defend you despite yourself. Okay, that's one definition they would have had in mind. Or suppose you were an architect in need of some mathematical calculations or a trader in need of a geographical survey. Whatever the case, when a person in business contracted out labor or called in a consultant to provide expertise in particular areas, the person hired to help out was called a paraclete. Someone who knows what we don't know and helps us with and enables us to complete tasks we could do, not on our own, but rather with help. He's an enabler, a teacher, a helper, a paraclete. Or suppose you're in a Roman legion stationed somewhere where the figs are sour, the sun is hot, and the bugs are bad. The soldiers would become discouraged and morale would be low, so the Roman army employed special personnel to deal with such a situation. They were what we would call motivational speakers, cheerleaders, traveling around from cohort to cohort, giving pep talks to the troops. These dispellers of gloom, these dispensers of inspiration, were called paracletes. Someone who strengthens us from within and inspires us to new hope, one who operates from the assumption of success and goodness and instills in us the power to fulfill that vision. Paraclete, a strengthener and an inspirer. Or suppose you're a young child, last one, has lost both of your parents in a storm at sea. You were too young to take charge of the estate, even too young to take, char take charge of your own affairs, so you would need a trusted person to serve in the place of your parents and guard you from any kind of harm. Paraclete, a guardian and a protector, an enabler, a teacher, a strengthener, an inspirer, a guardian, a protector, and an advocate. This is what Jesus was promising when he said, I'm going away and I'm going to send another advocate, a paraclete. But there's something else I don't want you to miss in that passage, John 14, 16. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you, and then what? and be with you forever. So when Jesus is offering the advocate, he's not saying, ah, oh, you know, I'll give him to you until the best before date wears off, or until you mess up royally. Who was in the room with John and the others? Peter. Peter, you know, the one who denied Jesus three times. Even Peter, the Holy Spirit's present in your life for you, Peter, an advocate. Because the Holy Spirit's presence, catch this, the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is not something we earn by being on our best behavior. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life is not something we earn by being on our best behavior. The Holy Spirit is a what? Four-letter word, gift. 
So John was there and understood firsthand what Jesus was promising when he said, I'm gonna give the Holy Spirit to you. But just in case we still aren't sure about John's authority to speak on the subject, let's go through a few other things. Remember this about John. John would have been there when Jesus ascended to heaven. He would have seen it with his own eyes. John would have been in the upper room praying and waiting for the promised Holy Spirit to come. He would have experienced the tongues of fire. He would have experienced the speaking in various tongues. He would have experienced the rise in boldness and power given to the apostles. He would have experienced the miracles. And he would have experienced firsthand the resistance and persecution from the religious leaders that came with it. Because I think we have this idea sometimes when we talk about God's work in our lives that it's going to be easy street. That if the Holy Spirit is really working in my life, my life is going to be peaceful, no, strat no difficulties, healthy, wealthy, and wise. The Holy Spirit was with the apostles and they experienced all kinds of stuff. Death, martyrdom, persecution, threats of all types, scattering, jail. Did the Holy Spirit then leave? No. The Holy Spirit stayed forever. So folks, when you're trying to figure out whether the Holy Spirit is active in your life, don't base it upon whether you're having a good time. I think that's really important because there is, a, there is a belief out there that the Holy Spirit is there to make my life happy and peaceful and successful and make me rich and so on. He can do those things, but he can also walk with us through the difficult times. So, John is qualified to speak about, with authority about the fact that God has given us of his spirit. Jesus says he has been true to his word in giving us the advocate. So when John declares that God has given us his spirit, his word can be trusted. So if you are a follower of Jesus today, like I said, God has given you of his Holy Spirit. Full stop. You may not understand it all. In fact, it may not under, you might understand any of this. It might be totally new to you. I had a guy tell me in my last Alpha class when we started talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, I've learned more in this one hour than I have ever in the nine years of being a follower of Jesus. I'm not that far off because I don't fully understand it all. But it's a fact. So now, let me put you on a little sidebar. I told you earlier that we bought a new car. And that's represented by this little wad of technology, the little starter. So I know what some of this does. There's a little button that says lock, works. And another one that says unlock. Oh, and then there's this red one. You guys probably have this in your car too. You know the one, when you walk out of Walmart and you don't remember where you parked, you press the red button and it starts to beep. Oh, I'm way over there. Why am I over here? But then there's this one on here that's a round three, three quarter circle. 
What does that do? Push, push, push. Doesn't do anything. I should call them and tell them it doesn't work. So then I do what every self-respecting man does and he goes on the Googles. And he starts looking up these little videos. Okay, so what does that mean? Press, press, oh, I know. So if you go press, 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 hold, and maybe stand like this, the car starts. I didn't know that. So now I have a self-starting car. I went from a 2008 to a 2021. I got this feature that I didn't know anything about. Wow. But then they told me this, hey, watch this other thing. It's really cool. If you go press, press, hold on this other button, all your windows and your sunroof goes open to get rid of all the hot air in your car. And you know I need that. Great. A feature I didn't know anything about. And then there's this. Um... I can walk away from my car, and if I have this in my pocket, it locks itself. My wife is so happy. She doesn't have to ask me anymore, did you lock the car? And then there's this like radar thingy on the front. If you push a certain button and you put you know, cruise control on and, and, and push this other button and you put these other things on, you can drive in cruise control all the way down the road and it will not get any closer than 100 feet to the car in front of you. And if I kind of, sitting in my nothing box, you guys know I've talked about that before, and I'm sort of drifting over to the side and it sees me go over the white line, it shakes and oh, I should come back in. This is gonna save my marriage. <laughs> Why are you ladies laughing? Honestly, I am discovering quite quickly that I don't really know all I have in this car. Man, it's just a car. But just because I don't know about a feature, it doesn't mean that feature does not exist. I just have to discover it. And I might need some help discovering it. And honestly, I see the parallel because I think I could probably say the same things about having the Holy Spirit in my life. Just because I don't necessarily understand what the Holy Spirit's doing doesn't mean he's not doing. But what if I take John at his word? What if I simply, even though I don't fully understand, buy into the simple stated truth that John has given, that God has given, uh, given us of his Holy Spirit? What if we start there? Uh, okay, I have a remote. I have the Holy Spirit in my life because John and Jesus have put it there. Well, John didn't put it there, Jesus did. The Father did, actually, now that I get that straight. But what does the Bible say is available for me to discover and experience because I then have the Holy Spirit? In the last few minutes that we have, I want to take a look at a few scriptures. John 14, 26 says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world does. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Or John 16, 13, to 30, 13 and 14. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, because it is, it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So here's how I tried to understand the, the therefores or the so what's for me. I wrote it like this. So Lyndon, based on that, you can ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and remind you how to love and how to discern what is true and what is false and how to walk in humility and how to live in peace during stressful times and how to glorify Jesus rather than yourself in the process. This is really practical for me today because I get anxious when I have to preach. Especially the prep time. So often I have come and I'm going, do I really know what to say here, Lord? Is it right? Is it true? I know we're supposed to make sure that what we teach is true and helpful and well-rounded. And Jesus says, I've given you your, my Holy Spirit and I will work this through. I will walk with you. As one person said to me, you know what, if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through you. But it reminds me that this is a process and with the Holy Spirit we can learn to recognize his voice and ask him to help put what we hear into practice and grow and learn, which I still need to do, in being able to go, Lord, when we get to Sunday, you will have provided what needs to be said here. Too many sleepless nights because I don't practice trusting the Holy Spirit. Full confession. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you are, live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption in sons, to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the closest term we can say to any father, to the, whole, to the, to the Father, God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Who we are can be testified to us by the Spirit, not just, I have to remember that. But I can ask for that. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what is the practical thing for me here, Lyndon? The Spirit testifies to my spirit that you are a child of God. The Spirit can bring assurance but there's more. Not only are you a child of God, but you are a chosen child of God. That's massive. Think about this in context. If you are chosen by the creator of the universe to be his child, to be a co-heir, to be adopted into his family, that's no small thing. But we kind of have this picture of God. Yeah, well, you know, I chose you because you're the last one in the list. You know, they took the good batter, so I'm just going to take the last guy that's up there. 
No, I want you. I want you. You're mine. It gives him great joy to choose you as his child. So when you look in the mirror and go, nobody would ever choose me, you've got to look back and say, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the God of this earth, the God of creation, sovereign God who we can't even get our brains around, says, I choose you. The Spirit will testify to that if we ask him to, if we're listening and then it says, you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. I, I, I can't get my head around that either. What does it mean to be an heir of the creator of the universe? <laughs> I don't know, but it's gonna be amazing when we get there. Romans 8, 26 and 27. <laughs> I said I'm not gonna cry today. Boo! I did it! It's okay, my kids will mock me later. In the same way, you know, this morning I was, I was wrestling with this whole passage and I'm just like, okay, Lord, what is it? And it was just, I got to this part. I just got wrecked. Listen to these words. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. I'll get it, I'm coming. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Whatever it is that's going on in your life right now, and you go, I got nothing. I got no words. I am so lost. I'm broken. I don't know what to do. It says the Holy Spirit is interceding in the middle of that. Do I understand it? No. Do I wonder why it hasn't changed yet? No. But it doesn't change the fact that the Spirit is interceding before the Father on my behalf and on your behalf. That's a feature, you guys. We gotta go to the Googles and find that one. What does it mean just simply that there was someone interceding on our behalf? When you feel stuck and tired of praying or unsure how to pray, the Spirit is interceding. Galatians 5.16, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Simply put, the Holy Spirit can lead you to victory over sin. It's not without our responding and being involved as a partnership, but when the Spirit nudges us and when we ask him to, he can keep us from places we know that we don't want to go. Even more, when we go there, he can assure us of our forgiveness once we confess, and he can also assure us 
of our acceptance before him. And finding Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can produce new fruit. He can grow us in character. He can give us peace. But again, it's a process. It's a journey, it's a walk, keeping in step with the Spirit. So, as this is the last day of 2023, and as one of my friends said to me, he said, let's get together next year. Darwin. How's that for a call out, eh, buddy? I want to end this sermon by inviting you to just join me on a quest this year. Challenged by choice, as they say. What if we simply made this our simple prayer this year? Father, help me to embrace the gift of your Holy Spirit and to live my life actively pursuing a deeper understanding and experience of his practical work in my life. One more time. Father, help me to embrace the gift of your Holy Spirit and live my life actively pursuing a deeper understanding and experience of his practical work in my life. It's one step. But it's a posture that I go, man, if we put ourselves in that spot, God will work through his spirit in our lives. I'm gonna ask that the people that are coming forward to pray with others, would they come right now, please? Because we wanna give you an opportunity if you wanna come forward for prayer, to be prayed for, prayed with. Um, and or, if there's somebody that you came with today or somebody sitting close to you that you trust that you want to pray for you, there's nothing magical about having to come to the front. It's just a step of obedience to get prayed for is really all it is. So I want to invite you to do that. To come receive prayer. Receive prayer to just embrace what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And to embrace that just simple fact we have been given of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us and then I'll let Wes continue. Father, I am so thankful for this reminder today that you have not left us orphans as it says later in John. Jesus left but he sent the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your reign in our ears and our eyes to listen to speak, to represent, to advocate. Lord, where there are things that stand in the way 
We bring them to you. Where there are things that we go, this is risky, I'm not sure, I'm ready to take the risk, I pray that you would give us peace. Lord, I pray that we would celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit as not just as individuals, but as a whole church so that we can hear corporately what it is you're doing. To see ourselves as the body of Christ who needs each other. Give us courage to run to you, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.